While priesthood is a theme that runs throughout the Bible, the most important book for understanding the priesthood is the book of Hebrews. Merry Christmas, and welcome back to another Sunday's message with Pastor Scott Huffman. Today's message is We Are His Everlasting Priesthood. Pastor Scott is joined with his wife, Marilyn. When you think of the word priesthood, what comes to your mind? Perhaps for some people, it has religious connotations, or that which involves rituals, ceremonies, customs, and obligations attached to it. This is not the biblical understanding of the priesthood that we've been called to as a part of as believers in Jesus Christ. The priestly calling is a royal, high, and lofty calling that gives us spiritual authority over sin, sickness, the devil, and death itself. We've been granted overcoming victory and command and spiritual rulership in this earth. A lot of believers don't understand that. We first must make a distinction, though, between the Old Testament priest and the Old, excuse me, the New Testament priest or New Covenant priest. We are priests in Christ after the order of Melchizedek, not Levi. Remember, man was created for dominion and rulership of the earth. Let's read Genesis 1, 28. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. That mandate that was given to Adam and Eve to rule and reign in the earth and to have dominion still is in uh, force today in Christ, but even with greater ramifications. In Eden, God commanded mankind, or excuse me, he created mankind in his image to reflect his glory, likeness, and will. In this setting, God crowned man and Adam, or man and woman, with glory and honor, and he was made a little lower than God. Some people can't believe this, but God created man just a little bit lower than himself. Let's read Psalm 8.5. We might skip around here, but go ahead. That's okay. For you have made him a little lower than angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. Right. And that word, a little lower than angels, the word really should be translated Elohim. Elohim is the word for God. So you have made man a little lower than God. You say, Pastor, how can that be? Because we were recreated in the likeness of God, in the image of God. Isn't that awesome? In the spiritual sense, God doesn't take on a physical body like we do. Uh, We've taken on a physical body. Jesus took on a physical body. But God is spirit, and those that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. The Lord authorized him, Adam, to subdue and rule and reign and gave him priestly instructions for serving in his garden temple. I like that, the garden temple of Eve. This is the prototype of the royal priesthood from which all other priests will be molded or developed. In other words, when the priesthood is legislated in Israel, it will pick up language and imagery from Eden. It goes all the way back to Eden. At the same time, the law of Moses divided the royal and priestly roles originally united in Adam. Thus, only a second Adam can unite priesthood and kingdom in a manner similar to Eden, but even greater, and that would be Christ himself. From Eden to Sinai, priestly administration continued, but in a very itinerant fashion. While Abraham, who had an encounter with Melchizedek after the slaughters of the king, and by the way, he bumped into Jesus. (laughs) It wasn't random. It was divine. It was providential. 
And there he gave Jesus a tenth of the spoils. It's interesting that uh, Abraham was tithing in the Old Testament before the law was ever granted. You know, some people say, is tithing biblical, Pastor? Well, giving we know is biblical. And uh, the tithe really has remained in, in uh, tact throughout all of Scripture. But we're not required to tithe like they did in the Old Testament. But we give willingly out of a willing heart. We give of our funds and our monies unto the Lord and his kingdom and his work. Praise God. Well, they lacked his sons, lacked the title of priest. That is Abraham's sons. And these priests played an important role in understanding the earthly priesthood of Jesus. A priest in function and legal title that became an everlasting priesthood, which we are a part of. As the children of Israel left Israel, they didn't leave Israel, they left Egypt, <laughs> a type of the world, and sojourned in the wilderness, God instituted the priestly service of firstborn sons, acting as priests within a specific tribe. And in this case, what was the tribe, Marilyn? The tribe of Levi. I woke her up. Uh, uh, this helps explain Israel's role as a royal priesthood. Let's read Exodus 19, 4 through 6. Okay, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians and, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Therefore now you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, and then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all earth is mine. A special treasure above all people. And you shall be my kingdom of priests. And, and you shall be nation. my kingdom of priests and a holy nation. You know, some of you right now, God is bearing on eagle's wings. He's carrying you in his bosom and he's protecting you. And uh, we can be confident the Lord surrounds us and his protection, his divine protection is about us. So God instituted the priesthood out there in Mount, near Mount Sinai in the wilderness. God chose the sons of Aaron to stand before him and serve at his altar. Aaron actually was the first high priest. Did you know that? Yeah. And of course, he was the one that made a golden calf because the people demanded it while Moses was on the mountain standing before God and receiving the Decalogue of the Ten Commandments, uh, tablets of stone written by the finger of God. And there they were worshiping this golden calf only 40 days. Moses had been gone, and here they were worshiping false gods. Oh, how we like sheep are prone to wander. But the Lord laid the iniquity, the Lord Jesus, of our iniquities upon him. Aaron, actually, like I mentioned, was the first priest. Let's read in Exodus 28, 4. And these are the garments which they shall make a breastplate, an ephod, a robe, a skillfully woven tunic, a turban, and a sash. So they shall make holy garments for Abraham, your brother, and his sons, and he may minister to me as priest. So these priests were really decked out. I mean, they had some really nice duds and uh, the beautiful garments that they wore. And they were clothed in these apparel, and they matched the glory of the tabernacle itself. And they were stationed, really, in between God and man. The sons of Aaron received the privileged position to draw near to God, by the way, we've received the same but greater position to draw near to God. Throughout the Old Testament, drawing near to God has priestly connotations. So the priests in the Old Testament were the mediator between God and the people, and that's important. They stood between the Lord and his people. They were called to make sacrifices for the sins of the people. 
By the way, those sacrifices, they were blood sacrifices. They were the blood of bulls and goats. They could not remove the people's sins. They couldn't change their conscience. They couldn't remove their guilty conscience. They covered the sin. They appeased the mind and heart of God, but they did not remove sins. Who removed the sin of the world? Jesus, Jesus himself. What did John say? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And by the way, Jesus died not just for believer's sins, but for the entire world. So all of people, all mankind down throughout history have been forgiven if they receive Christ into their life and receive that pardon that was granted for them. Praise God. Beginning in the days of the judges, and even before judges, in places like Exodus, and I mentioned about Aaron and how he disobeyed the Lord and created the golden calf, the priests showed themselves unfaithful. Most completely, however, the fall of Levi's house is seen in the early days of Israel's monarchy, when Eli's sons invited the judgment of God and a prophet predicted their demise. In response to these wicked priests, Hophni and Phinehas, that were the, they were the sons of uh, Eli, God promised to raise up a new priesthood, destroy the old, and make a new one. The first promise of a new priesthood is found in 1 Samuel 2.35. Then I will raise up from myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. I will build him a sure house and he will walk before me my anointed forever. Praise God. And by the way, we are the anointed of God forever because we're in Christ. The fulfillment of all these promises comes into focus in the life, death, and exaltation of Jesus. As Jesus enters the world in humiliation, born in a stable, <laughs> in a manger, in Bethlehem, he enters the world in obscurity. His priestly glory is veiled or not revealed. Moreover, as a law-keeping son of Judah, he cannot be the high priest under the old covenant. Because why? Because he didn't come from the house of Levi. He came from the house of Judah or the tribe of Judah. But as the New Testament unfolds, his priesthood reflects his perfect sonship. And his perfect sonship proves the superiority of this priesthood. Praise God. I get excited when I think about the place we stand in Christ and who we are before him and as priests before him in his kingdom. While priesthood is a theme that runs throughout the Bible, the most important book for understanding the priesthood is the book of Hebrews. Now we're going to get into a little meaty things of the word. Pulling all the threads of the priesthood together, Hebrews weaves a tapestry that shows why a priest is needed and how Jesus, a son from the tribe of Judah, not Levi, could be a priest. As the argument of Hebrew goes, it is Jesus' perfect sonship that qualifies him to be the everlasting high priest and royal priest after the order of who? Melchizedek, the one Abraham met after the slaughters of the king out in the plains there in Canaan. And uh, there, Abraham said to this mysterious man who had no father, he had no mother, he had no beginning of days, he had no end of days, uh, only an endless, everlasting life. Who does that have to be? Jesus. And Abraham worshipped him. And we worship God and God alone. And this was Jesus appearing in a human form, what we call a Christophany or a theophany, taking on a physical form in the Old Testament. Isn't that awesome? So Abraham met Jesus. 
And when he told the Pharisees that, they laughed at him and they scorned. How could you have met Jesus? Uh, that's impossible. I mean, excuse me, how could you have met Abraham? That's impossible. And Jesus said, I met Abraham uh, when I was in the form of Melchizedek and he worshipped me. And you were refusing to worship me. And I am your Messiah come to save you from your sins. Wow, praise God. And even more so, Hebrews begins by identifying Jesus as the royal and priestly son of God. Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. God, who at all time, at various times and in various ways, spoken times past to the fathers of, by the prophets, has in this last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through him also, through whom also he made the world, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his Son, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had made really, and that should be the power of his word upholds all things by the power of his word, and that's how we function in this life, guys, through the power of the word of God, using the word of God like a spiritual weapon to defeat the works of the enemy and to overcome the obstacles of this oppressive world. There we see in Hebrews the calling of Jesus. You know, we're getting into some kind of heavy stuff here, but it's good stuff. Don't you want to grow in the things of God and increase in the knowledge of God? Now it finishes in this way, showing how all of those who are united to Christ by faith are made to be sons and daughters of God. The most important book on the priesthood is found right here in Hebrews. While priesthood is a theme that runs throughout the Bible, it's, mo it's the most important book here for understanding the concept of the th priesthood, pulling all the threads of the priesthood together. Hebrews weaves a tapestry that shows why a priest is needed and how Jesus, a son from the tribe of Judah, not Levi, could be priest. Praise God. And once again, he came out of the order of Melchizedek. Praise God. Hebrews identifies Jesus as the Son of God, showing how all those who are united to Christ by faith are made to be sons of God. Praise God. Now, let's look at Hebrews 5, 5 through 6. So also Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest, but it was he who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he also said in another place, You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. So it really, uh, Jesus as high priest is established by his sonship, the fact that he is the son of God. And as Hebrews reads, and let's read this, seven, the seventh chapter, 14 uh -huh. through 17, I might stop you through here. Okay. Uh, for it is evident that our Lord arose from Judah, of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning priesthood. And it is yet so far evident in the likeness of Melchizedek, there arises another priest who has come, not according to the law of fleshy commandment, but according to the power of an endless life. For he testifies, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. So Jesus is a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. We as believers in Christ are priests forever, according to the order of Melchizedek, because we're in Christ, and Christ is in us. And we have the power of an endless life. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we have eternal life dwelling in us. This explains that Jesus is a priest after that order, and who was given the right to sit at God's right hand because of his perfect life. In short, Jesus' greater priesthood ratifies a new and better covenant. A covenant sealed by the blood and the final atonement for sin, Hebrews 8.2.
a minister of the whole of the sanctuary of the true tabernacle of the Lord erected and not a man. You know, there was the earthly tabernacle, which was a portable tent that was moved around during the days of Moses. We've talked about that many on many occasions. Then there they became the more stable place or permanent place, the, the temple itself, Solomon's temple, the glorious temple that was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar and rebuilt under uh, the working of Nehemiah and Zerubbabel and the walls were rebuilt, the, the, the temple was rebuilt, and it became known as Zerubbabel's Temple, which later became, come on guys, he, Herod's Temple, which was the same temple that Jesus went in and preached the word of God. Amen? So interesting. That temple was destroyed in AD 70 by the Roman legionnaire Titus, who came in and destroyed the city of Jerusalem and took the Jews captive. We've been to Rome, Italy, and we've seen the edifice there of Titus. It's an arch, arch, uh, arch, yes, sits right by the Colosseum, and he's the one that conquered the Jews. In AD 70, Jesus said, there won't be one stone sitting upon another. This city will be annihilated and destroyed because you've rejected your day of visitation. Don't reject your day of visitation today. It could be your last chance to receive Christ. Come to the Lord today and receive him as your personal Lord and Savior. They rejected their day of visitation, and God brought judgment upon the city of Jerusalem. How tragic and how sad. Jesus wept over that city. But God has restored Israel, and in 1948, on May 14th, they became a nation once again. Ezekiel said to God, can these dry bones live again? And God, yes, said, yes, they can. And he rose that nation back up again, and we are living in the last days, and Israel is alive and well today. Isn't that amazing? And now they have a new prime minister. They're doing better than ever before. The first priesthood was replaced by the new or second one, as we mentioned. It was far superior. Let's look at Romans, excuse me, Hebrews 8, now eleven thirteen. None of them shall teach his neighbor and none his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all for all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. So stop there. So what we're talking about is the new covenant. Right. Okay. This new priesthood. And the goal of all that priesthood is that we might know the Lord. Right. Right. And that is the calling. Okay. Continue. And he says, oh wait, for I will not, I will be merciful, merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds and remember no more. And that he says, a new covenant he has made the first obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete, growing old, is ready to vanish away. So the old has disappeared in the old covenant uh, after the order of Levi. Now we're after the tribe of Judah in the order of Melchizedek. And it's far superior, praise God. And we're part of that superior covenant. And there's greater promises provided for us. The glory lost in Eden by Adam's failure to be a faithful high priest is recovered through the royal priesthood of Jesus. Yet recovery is not the end. Reproduction is the end. What do I mean by that? What was done in Christ is being reproduced in all believers in Jesus Christ, or has already been reproduced in all believers in Christ. We are now like Christ. Our nature resembles his nature. Our nature has been made righteous and holy and flawless before God. It is without sin. And that nature looks like God on the inside. You look like God on the inside if you're a believer in Christ. When Christ descended on high as a royal priest in heaven, he sends forth his Holy Spirit to anoint a people for priestly service. And there we see the Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost. 
That is to say, just as the Spirit anointed Jesus for his priestly ministry when he was baptized in Jordan, so now, after Pentecost, the Holy Spirit is the one who makes the church a holy nation and a royal priesthood sent out to do what? To proclaim the mercies of God and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to the whole world. First Peter 2, let's take a look at that. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all, all evil speaking as newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the so, word. So that's good. So right now we are to desire the pure milk of the word. As we receive the word of God, we grow in the things of God and we mature in the kingdom of God. In this way, the priesthood of Christ provides a family of royal priests purified by his blood and qualified for service by his spirit for eternity. All of you are called to be ministers in the work of God. There's no special person. We're all working together as ministers that are set aflame by the fire of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We've been made heirs of the kingdom and priests of God who offer sacrifices, not of animals, but of praise. Hebrews 13 talks about that the sacrifice of praise and the giving of thanks upon our lips. When you go to worship God, whether you do it in the quietness of your home or in your own prayer closet, or you gather together as believers in church, you're offering up a sacrifice of worship and praise, which has supernatural power attached to it that drives back the darkness, drives back this demonic world because of the power of praise and worship that comes forth unto God. We have great supernatural power there. In fact, as Hebrews 5 recounts, Jesus' high priesthood is established by his sonship, as we mentioned. Praise God. Well, praise God. We're, we're continuing on with this topic here. And I want to give you, in case if you'll run that up a little bit farther, I want to give you the rights and privileges of a New Testament priest. This is important. You might want to write these down. Number one, the first right and privilege you have is to draw near to God and stand before him as king and priest in his heavenly tabernacle where he dwells. Total access and permission to enter the Holy of Holies unabashed without shame or sin. Revelation 1.6 And has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Everybody say that. I'm a king and I'm a priest. I'm a king and a priest. Or I'm a queen and a priest if you're female. <laughs> Number two, the right to execute dominion over this earth and the evil that operates in this earth. Romans 5.17 For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. And then you have been given the keys of the kingdom. Excuse me, Matthew 16.19, Marilyn. Read that one because that's so important. We were talking about this the other day at home about this spiritual authority you have to bind and loose. And some people don't understand the power to bind and loose. Go ahead, sweetie. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be, loose, will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. You say, Pastor, what has to be bound? Evil has to be bound. Disease has to be bound. Sickness has to be bound. The evil one has to be bound. What needs to be loose? The power to heal, the power to save, the power to deliver, the power of the Holy Spirit moving upon the earth in the lives of the believers who reach out to preach the gospel and minister one to another. Number three, the right to have a life free from sin. Praise God. 
When I learned that, it changed my whole life. Free from condemnation and death. His divine nature dwells in us. 2 Peter 1, 3 and 4. And his divine power has given us all things that um, pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which has been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the correct uh, corruption that is in the so world. So we are partakers of the divine nature. Do you understand that? Your seed and God's seed are one. You have his divine nature dwelling in you. And that divine nature is perfect. And now we have these great and precious promises that we stand upon in this life. And as we stand upon them in faith, we receive the blessing of God. Number four, we are priests forever according to the order of Melchizedek, according to Hebrews 7.17. Praise God. We are priests before God. We have great power and authority. Watch Pastor Scott live every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on Facebook and Instagram. Merry Christmas and see you next week.